Today we're going to ask a question that earlier generations never even thought of. Why do kids kill? Right, the kids next door. Why the violence? Killing by kids in this country has become so common, it's almost no longer shocking. So when you see something like this on the front of People magazine or in Time magazine, you just say, well, it's happened again. Some of the world's greatest psychologists, psychiatrists, and doctors, and philosophers are saying, what's wrong with our society? Why is so much violence, and particularly, why do kids kill? What's the cause of it? We're going to explore some answers to that important question. But firstly, I want to give you some keynote texts. I want you to turn firstly to the book of Isaiah chapter 48, and I want you to notice verse 18, my dear friends. I want you to notice that number of texts before we go any further today, and these texts are going to set the stage for what I'm going to say. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 18 is the first text I want you to notice. Isaiah 48, verse 18, Isaiah says, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The Bible says there is a relationship between obedience to the commandments of God and peace in our hearts and in our homes, in our society and in our nation. Now, would you come now to Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 13. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 13. The Bible says, All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. The Bible indicates that there is a relationship between what children are taught, between what they take in with television and what they read, what they take in at church school or wherever, and their peace or their lack of peace. The Bible says all your children who are taught by the Lord are going to have peace. Somebody said, I think it was Billy Graham's son who spoke at, at Columbine High School after the tragedy, he said, a high school can become a very dangerous place when we take the commandments of God out of that situation. I want you to notice another text now. Would you come over here to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2 and verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. This is a great text. It's talking about the problems that came upon the ancient children of Israel. And God said, you've got two big problems. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So the Bible said that the problems that came to these people, the reason they had so much violence, the reason there were so many killings in the land of Israel back in those days was because the people had committed two big sins. Number one, they had forsaken the living God and the living water that comes from the living God and they had made for themselves earthly cisterns and those cisterns could hold no water. 
Now today, I want you to listen very carefully to this next statement. I'm going to answer the question too as we go along today, what can we do to save our homes and what can we do to save our children, particularly our teenagers? Listen to this statement. This may take you by surprise, but it's the truth. A tremendous revolution has taken place during our lifetimes. It has been a silent, sinister revolution. You haven't, uh, haven't seen any tanks rolling down the streets and you haven't seen any real violence through this revolution. Uh, this revolution has brought about a, a violence, but it wasn't brought about by guns. There was no coup or anything like this. But the greatest revolution as far as how people live is concerned has taken place within the last one or two generations. A few hundred years ago in Europe, 200 years ago, more precisely, the seeds were sown for this tremendous revolution. And these seeds have been spread abroad by the winds of change. This great revolution started in Germany and then it spread to England and then after a long period of time across the Atlantic and it is alive and well in the United States of America. What does this revolution teach? This revolution that has changed the world forever. It teaches these ideas. God is dead. God no longer is relevant. God is dead. There are no moral laws. The Bible is simply a collection of myths. It is no longer the voice of God because there is no God anyhow. The family is obsolete. The church is a useless relic of a bygone day and the church no longer counts and there's no reason why a person ought to respect the church. It's useless. In fact, it is harmful. Marriage is an inconvenience and everything is relative and truth is what you choose it to be. You may say, are there people who really believe these ideas? There are millions of people in this country and millions who are teaching in the schools and in the universities who believe these ideas. These ideas that were born over in Germany hundreds of years ago that spread to Great Britain and then came across the Atlantic and these ideas have permeated our religious system and our education system and almost every psychologist with the exception of a few notables believe in these ideas. And they have a great hymn which they sing in imagination. Glory to man in the highest for man is the master of things. And in the place of the self-existent living God, there is man who was glorified as the master of all things. Movie theaters, art museums, and sports stadiums have become the new temples of the United States of America. Darwin is the high priest. The ministers are rock stars and movie stars and the artists. Don't forget the artists. The artists are the greatest philosophers of this day and age. And university professors and scientists are the new prophets of this brave new world. Most of us, I guess it is true to say all of us, 
are influenced by this brave new religion to a greater or a lesser degree. And the sinister thing is this, you can be right in the very midst of it and unless you are perceptive, you're not even aware of these things. Now, as most of my folks know, I live in that delectable part of Southern California called Thousand Oaks. And almost every day I have the task of driving right here to this great city of Los Angeles. And as I drive in, I come to Calabasas, which is a really a beautiful place. And I come to the top of the hill at Calabasas and then I look down into San Fernando Valley and there before me is Los Angeles, if I can see it. <laughs> now, as I came in today, I said, what is it, Beverly? She said, well, is it, it's fog. Is it fog? Well, fog and smog, all of those things mixed together. And the interesting thing is you've got to stand back to see it. Because when you get down here in it, you almost enjoy it. <laughs> and when you walk outside the church today, you can have a lot of smog, but when you're in it, you don't see it. And this new religion has swept into the world and is like the smog of Los Angeles. You've got to stand back to see it. And today, I want you to stand back with me and give it a good look. And then by the grace of God, we're going to talk about how we can save our kids and how we can save our churches and how we can save our families. One apostle and spokesman for this new philosophy is Professor Peter Singer. Uh, he is teaching now at Princeton University. And I want to read you here uh, an article by my friend George Will. I say he's my friend. I have never met him, but uh, I think pretty much the same as he does. So anybody who thinks the same as I do has to be my friend. Now this is out of Newsweek, September 13, 1999. He comes trailing clouds of controversy because he argues without recourse to euphemisms or other somatic sleights of hand the moral justification of some homicides, including infanticide and euthanasia. This man says it's okay on occasions to kill babies, and it's certainly okay to get rid of people if they're weak or are not really as intelligent as he is. He rejects the particular moral order which supposes that human beings are extraordinarily precious because God made them so. Well, he, this man is honest and he is logical. He says, uh, if there's no God, says this great professor, if there's no God, there's no reason for morality anyhow. Let me read on. The appointment of the 53-year-old Australian philosopher to a tenured professorship of bioethics was unanimously recommended by a Princeton search committee and was approved by President Harold Shapiro, who chairs the National Bioethics Advisory Commission. With muscular candor, George Will says, Singer faces biological facts. He does not deny the killing of fetus or a baby involves killing a human being. He is contempt for mincing, flinching language. In an example of that, Kate Mitchellman, the abortion rights advocate, has spoken of an aborted fetus undergoing demise. Now this man says, well, we just kill it. So he's talking, you know, plain language that we can understand. Singer says infanticide is not necessarily more morally important than abortion, 
which is morally negligible. In fact, some infanticide is even, not even as important as say, killing a happy cat. Killing an infant is never killing a person and is morally permissible in at least two kinds of situations. One is when a handicapped baby faces a life in which suffering will predominate. Singer has cited Down syndrome and spinal bifida babies. However, he, like most citizens, is not well informed about Down syndrome citizens, some of whom are taxpayers who read the sports pages on their way to work. And then he talks about another occasion which we won't get into when it's okay to kill the baby after the baby is born. And what the parents need to say, he says, is this, is this baby going to bring us joy and happiness? Is it going to be a real drain on our supply of happiness? And if it's going to be a drain on our supply of happiness, let's just throttle the little thing and we'll have another baby. Um, let me read on more. When moral reasoning, when moral reasoning, says George, is reduced to arithmetic, uh, quantification involving categories such as crude as pain and pleasure, moral reasoning is no more complex or interesting than the grinding of an adding machine. Now this man is logical, he says that there is no God, and if there is no God, there is no law. And if there is no law, you do what is best, what you think is best for you. Still Singer, three of whose grandparents died in the Holocaust, brings to his vacation the earnestness of one who knows that ideas have consequences. Now this man lost three of his grandparents at the hands of the Nazis. And I'm here to tell you today, as many commentators have pointed out, he is teaching the same ideas as Hitler. Now Hitler said, those who are weak, those who are sickly, just get rid of them. If a person doesn't have a real high IQ, if a, if a baby is born with Down syndrome, and some of those are some of the most affectionate little babies that you'll ever see, Hitler said, get rid of them. And then he went on a little further and he said, here are some undesired people, they're Jews, we'll get rid of them too. And Singer, who lost three of his grandparents in the Holocaust, believes, because they were Jews, he believes it is okay to get rid of little babies. And getting rid of a little baby if it's defective is not as bad as killing a happy cat. Francis Schaeffer was talking to a student. Francis Schaeffer was the great Christian scholar who set out to defend the truths of historical Christianity. And after he spoke to a group of students in a great university, and the universities are permeated with this philosophy. Almost every philosopher in a great American university doesn't believe in God. Don't believe in God. And after Schaefer had spoken to a group of universities, one student stayed, stayed behind and he said, Dr. Schaefer, I'm just filled with a desire to destroy. And Schaefer said, you are logical, you are correct. If there is no God, I want to destroy too. He said, if there is no God, I will come and stand beside you and we will destroy together. But Schaefer believes in a God who is there. He wrote that great book, The God Who Is There. And because there is a God who is there, my friend, there is truth. 
But the world today, the world today has broken the old cistern that contains the water of life and they have hewn out these philosophers, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Today, listen to this, we need to go to the real cause of evil behavior. I don't wish to give the impression that I've got all the answers for violence, but today I know the main cause. And today we're not going to talk about the peripheral things, we're going to go to the jugular vein. We're going to go to the real cause, the cause of evil behavior. We're going to expose the real source of corruption. And I want to say that we need to discover again those truths that will save our children, our homes, our souls, our society. This talk today is an appeal to return to the faith of our fathers and what made America a great nation. Firstly, the reality of God. Would you come to Genesis 1 and verse 1? The most relevant book that you can ever read. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Singer at least is consistent, more consistent than many Christians. If there is no God, says Singer, there is no basis for morality, for right or for wrong. Singer at least sees the issues. If there is no God, then Marx, Lenin and Stalin were right and man indeed is an animal or a machine. Why do kids kill? Why is there so much violence? Because kids and adults have been brainwashed with the idea that man is only a machine or an animal or a thing and man is not distinct and glorious. The Bible concept is that because there is a God, man is important. I guess more than most people, I have explored those places in Russia where millions of people died. I've gone to the area of the Gulags, where people were placed by the millions by people who denied the idea of God who taught the same as Professor Singer in Christian America. I preached in a great auditorium in Kiev. In the foundation of that building, tens of thousands were put to death and they took me down and they showed me the torture chambers where the communists, the atheists, murdered thousands of people so much so that the blood seeped out of the stones at the base of the building. I've been to the forest with Beverly outside Kiev where tens of thousands were taken there by the communists and they were shot to death. Treated not as good 
as animals. This happens when a society forgets God, whether it is Russia or America. The Bible concept is that man is distinct and glorious because made in the image of God. I want to say to the honest-hearted skeptic today who is watching the television program that modern science today is opening a window, a window for faith. I've got so much material on this. For instance, one little piece of evidence comes from the time of the Big Bang that occurred some 12 billion years ago. And there you have the great forces of the cosmos coming into force. The outward force, and then holding in check gravity. And if those forces had been out by one, the four great forces of the universe, if they had been out by one quadrillionth of one percent, the universe would have either expanded too fast or fallen back on itself. One quadrillionth of one percent. And this is why many, many scientists are saying today, we must believe. Because of the very laws of the universe, the laws of the universe point to a God. We must teach our children that there is a God and we must believe ourselves. We must believe in the reality of right and wrong. We must believe in the reality of righteousness and the reality of evil and sin. And too often, we refuse to call sin by its right name. And psychologists and ministers, many of them have tried to explain away Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5 that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mankind's basic problem is not economic, as Mark said, it is not basically psychological as Freud said. Our problem is not basically genetic. Our problem is spiritual. And man must recognize, you and I must recognize the existence of evil. We cannot blame it on our genes, our environment, or our parents. We have hewn out systems that can hold no water. Every person is responsible for his actions. Why do kids kill? One of the reason kids kill is because the commandments of God have been taken out of the schools. And children have been taught if there is a God, he is completely remote and he has no law. Did you know this? This is a, a very amazing truth that during the days of a teenager, the brain is establishing its future patterns of thought. They thought that a teenager's brain and an adult's brain was the same. No, they've just discovered it isn't. Now we who've had teenagers, we know it wasn't. But doctors and psychologists have just made an incredible discovery. And uh, here it is. There you have the brain with the limbic system. There you have the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the policeman. So when this part is stirred up by adrenaline and you feel like doing something crazy, the prefrontal cortex says, slow it down, cool it. 
But in a teenager, this is not developed. They've only just made this discovery. They've put teenagers into this machine that scans the brain. And they put adults in and they look at the activity. It is completely different. And now they say, we understand why teenagers do the violent things they do, except those teenagers that have been taught right from wrong. A teenager, my friend, without God and without the moral law of God is a bomb waiting to go off. And these psychologists in this magazine are saying, parents, the time to teach the children, the time to be home for you teenagers is now when their brains and this front part of the brain is being formed. Teenagers need mums and dads and they need the church. They need the home. God's ideal is for a home with a mum and dad. Because of society there are single mums and single dads and I want you to know God gives more grace when you are in that circumstance. And so I don't want you to think today because you're a single mom or a single dad that it just can't work for you. God will give you more grace. But I want you to know God's ideal is for a home with a mom and dad. Today there's an open warfare against the home. Hollywood often depicts mums and dads as incompetent and dumb. Have you ever wasted time watching Married with Children, The Simpsons and other garbage which pours out of Hollywood to break down the home, to break down the home. In Russia today, there are hundreds of thousands of lost young people, little children and teenagers. I've had them come to my meetings in Kiev by the thousands and thousands. They have no parents. Their parents have given up. They've had divorces or, or something has, has happened to them. Many times the mom and dad are there, but they're drunk on vodka and the children are loose on the streets. If you think it's bad today in Russia, you wait until those kids are a little bit older. Russia is a loaded pistol. In America's inner cities, 95% of children have no fathers. Oh yes, they had fathers but they don't show up. And in the inner cities, these families that are held together by a struggling woman with many children, these families are the breeding centers of crime. And today, I've had people say to me, I would be afraid to walk down the street. I may not be shot by a teenager. I'll be shot by a six or seven year old kid who has never seen his father. Children need their fathers just as much as they need their mothers. Children need their parents as never before. I want you to notice Newsweek here. Uh, this is a, a recent one, May 10, The Secret Life of Teens. There's the cover, The Secret Life of Teens. I want to tell every parent here today, 
Every parent who has teenage children, I'm going to pray for you. You need prayer as never before. And after I read this to you, you'll understand why you need to be here at church and why you need to have your children, if you can, in a church school. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Want to see me stick nine-inch nails through each of my eyelids? Want to copy me and do exactly like I did? The bleached blonde pixie could be a refugee from the set of friends, all smirk and glimmer. He is Marshall Mathers, better known as Eminem. Hope I'm saying it right. I'm a little bit out of touch, you know. Better known as Eminem. I thought they were the things that you ate. Whose rap album has been near the top of the charts for the last two months. In the secret life of American teenagers, Eminem is large. By the way, he raps, when you see my dad, tell him I slit his throat in the dream I had. Since they first emerged as a democratic entity earlier this century, adolescents of every era have carved out their own secret world, inventing private codes of style and behavior designed to communicate only within the group and to exclude or offend adults. You and I who've had teenagers say what? Amen. We know. It is a central rite of American passage, but lately this developmental process has come under great strain. In the past, the toughest decisions teens had was whether to have sex or whether to use drugs, says Sherry Parks, who studies families and the media at the University of Maryland. Uh, those are still there, but on top of pile all these other issues, which are very difficult for parents or children to decipher. New technologies in the entertainment industry combined with changes in family structure have more deeply isolated grown-ups from teenagers. The results are what Hill Walker, co-director of the Institute on, I'm sorry, co-director of the Institute, Institute on Violence and Destructive Behavior in Oregon calls almost a virtual reality without adults. With as many as, you know how many kids are online? Teenagers are online here in this great country. Parents haven't got a clue what they're watching. Parents are too busy making a buck. Kids come home. Parents haven't got a clue what what's going on there. With as many as 11 million teenagers now online, more and more of adolescent life is taking place in a landscape that is inaccessible to many parents. I turn over the page. 11 million kids online, what are they watching? Pornography, filth, violence, learning how to make a bomb, learning how to make a gun, and the parents are just starry-eyed, they haven't got a clue what's going on. Why do kids kill? Get, being fed the stuff. Being fed the stuff. Getting it on television, getting it online. Here is a girl, our generation is far more desensitized to violence than any other generation. TVs raise children now more than parents do, and television caters to children's violent fantasies. Parents are working more and spending less time with their kids. There is an expression that I sort of don't like. It's quality time. You know quality time is? That's the time parents give to their kids when they've got more time for themselves when they can't take time for their kids. So they say, oh, we're going to have quality time. Ever heard about quantity, quality time? There was a time when kids came home from school and mum was there. I'm glad 
When I came home from school, I had a mum and I had a dad who came home from work. I'm glad I didn't have a working mother, didn't have a job like most of our mothers have today. I remember when David was just a little guy in Albury, Australia. He had to write a poem for school. And he shared it with us. And it was called, I Like Smells at Home. I Like Smells at Home. He spoke about the smell in the kitchen as Beverly was cooking something. You see? At least there was a time when kids could come home and there was a mother. I want to say there's a war on for your kids. And if you're so busy, mothers and fathers, that you've got no time for your kids, you don't love your kids. But if you love your kids, you've got to be there for your kids by the grace of God. Why do kids kill? The main reason is because they're by themselves. They're online. They're listening to music that talks about rape. There's some music in this country talks about women, calls them filthy names, and says, violate them, rape them, mug them. This stuff goes to the tops of the charts. And uh, there are people who live in very wealthy homes that are built on the blood of those kids. They go to church. They sing in the choir. And they sponsor music. It brainwashes kids and turns them into little monsters. Of course it's true. You know it's true. In the home, children learn about God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They learn to love the Bible. And they learn to love and they learn that there's a law and they learn respect respect a lot of people today don't even know what it means to respect children need to be taught to respect the president of the United States I turn on television radio programs and I hear them calling the president a liar a cheat a bum a scoundrel you know what they're teaching their kids? Government's nothing. We ought to learn respect for the government, for the police officers, for the church, for church leaders. No one's going to respect you unless you can show respect. Children a taught respect by the attitudes that are displayed in the home. Why do kids kill? Because they're not taught respect. They're not taught God. They're not taught God's law. They're allowed to do what they want to do. They're not disciplined. Young people need the church. The church, with all its faults, is God's fortress in a world in revolt against him. Paul calls it the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is more than an earthly organization. 
The true church is ordained of God. Look at this. God versus gangs. What's the hottest idea in crime fighting? The power of religion. The power of religion. Cops are coming to ministers and they're saying, we have failed. We need the church. In the inner cities, the last hope for the world that is there is the black church. Here's a black preacher, ostracized by lots of other preachers, but he's out in the streets, not sitting in an office, shuffling papers. The hope of the world is the church, and not a church that is so filled with a bureaucracy that is of no earthly or heavenly good. The church. Society needs the church. You get rid of the church out of Los Angeles. Los Angeles will go to hell overnight. In this city, they even make it hard to build a church. Los Angeles has had a reputation making hard to build churches. You get rid of the churches out of this city, this city will go to hell in a basket case the next day. Kids need the church. You need the church. I want to say to the parents, if you don't bring your children to church, then you don't love your children. You can give me all the talk and all the twaddle and all the pious, religious junk. Don't talk to me about love unless you have your children in Sabbath school or Sunday school and you're there yourself. The church is God's fault fortress that he holds in a world at revolt. I quote again the words quoted by Karl Barth, when the holy day of God becomes the day of man, society withers away and the demons rule. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Bible says, Isaiah 58, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath day a delight, the Lord's holy day honorable. If you honor his day not doing your own things, not speaking your own words, then you will be set on high and I will bless you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The Sabbath. The Sabbath was given by God to save our children. Bring your children to church. Bring them to Sabbath school. Bring them to prayer meeting. Don't send them. You need the church far more than the church needs you. I need the church. We need to go to church as families. Therefore, the powers of darkness have carried out a very successful revolution. The results are seen everywhere. Murders, killings, the streets are the killing fields in America. We have sown to the wind. We're reaping the whirlwind. We've got rid of the water of life 
and we've hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. We've got what we deserve. But it's not too late. There is time for a new revolution, a return to God, a return to the Bible, a return to the commandments, a return to the home, a return to mom and dads, and a return to the church. Then shall it, shall it be said, great shall be the peace of thy children. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. There is a philosophy. Let me tell you something. Just look at me for a moment. I visited some wonderful people some years back. The lady got baptized, but the father said, I'm not going to be baptized. Had beautiful children. I said, what about the children? He said to me, well, I had religion shoved down my throat as a boy, which wasn't true. But he said, what I'm going to do is let my children grow up and make their own choice. You can be sure of what choice they're going to make. It's going to be the wrong choice. Where are those kids on Sabbath morning? Out playing football. He knows that they ought to be in church. He said, I'm not going to force it on them. So he's going to let them go to the world. And then when those children are grown up, maybe he's going to come to God. And then he's going to say to his wife, I wonder why my kids are on drugs. Wonder why Billy did so-and-so. You know whose fault it is? His fault. It is time for us to take responsibility for ourselves, our children, our homes, and our church. Let's pray. We want to thank you today for the promise that you will save our children. We want to thank you today for the promise that all our children will be taught by the Lord. And great will be the peace of our children. Help us to know. Help us to understand that there is a system that contains the water of life. And help us to drink from that cistern and not to drink from the broken cistern that contains poisonous water. And might it be today that in our hearts there will be a resolve that by the grace of God we're going to be there for our kids and we're going to save our children and we're going to be everything that God wants us to be to our kids. We're going to teach them love and we're going to teach them law. We're going to teach them respect for man because they have respect for God. And we're going to teach them that every person is a child of God and we could never hurt a child of God. And when the children come home, may they smell the smell of something cooking in the kitchen. May they feel the hand of a loving mother and then may they see the face of a loving father 
as he comes home to his children and to his family. Teach these church members, my congregation, to love you and to love their families and to love their church. For Jesus' sake, amen.